All right, we have kids with us today. Kids, I see y'all out there. I see a few over here. Kids, good to have you today. Man, I love children, I tell you. Jane, we need to reconsider, babe. Let's, let's get a few more in the fold. All right. Said that publicly, and I'll pay for that privately, but uh, I do. I just, I love you guys, man. I love when y'all stand up and you lead us in worship. I love when you play with each other in the halls. I, I love the way for children, every moment, every moment is just a discovery. And um, you guys are a great example to me as I get older of what life is really about. So thank you for just being yourself. All right, having said that, uh, today in chapter 12, we are in Acts. Uh, We are now at chapter 12, and there is a whole lot going on in Acts chapter 12. But when you boil it down, here's what you get with this chapter, okay? This essentially is the story of three men, okay? Three men who all experience God. And yet for each man, their experience of God is very, very different, but still at the end of it all, there's just one burning truth about God that stands out. So here are all three men together in Acts 12, 1 through 5. See if you can identify them. King Herod Agrippa began to persecute believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So uh, you probably figured out who our three men were here, James, Herod, and Peter. But the first one we encounter is a man named Herod. So let me talk to you for just a minute about Herod. Whenever I hear the word Herod, when I'm reading a scripture and I see the word, I'm always reminded of a kid who was in my youth group. Um, This was a boy that whenever you heard his name, whatever followed was never going to be good because this is just one of those kids that he was always into something or he was up to something, right? Have we all known people like that? You know, we've all got a Mark Santum or two in our lives. You know who I'm talking about, right? So anyway, this, this is how it is with the name Herod. But here's the thing about Herod. When we read about him in the New Testament, um, Herod actually wasn't one person. Herod was seven different people, okay? So the word Herod, these are seven different kings in Israel who ruled pretty much successively. But the, the, the interesting thing about King Herod is that when, when you kind of put him up against the, the test of what it means to be a king, you know, a king rules independently, a king makes decisions, whatever the king's will is, the whole nation abides by it. When, when, when you, you know, put that definition or that explanation up against Herod, it really doesn't fit because Herod, the Herods were appointed by Rome, okay? They were guys who were given a free reign to do whatever they wanted as long as they kept Rome happy. So they were really like government, or I should say, puppet leaders. And as far as rulers go, the Herods stunk, okay? They were a miserable group of rulers. They were terrible guys. Basically, they were all rotten apples from, from the same diseased family tree. And through deceit, 
through corruption, through persecution, they made life miserable for the citizens of Israel. Now, because the kids are with us today, I'm not going to go into detail into how exactly they made life miserable, but I'll just leave it at this. The Herods all had a hand in the elimination of both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And this one, this Herod, King Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa, he goes after the church in Acts chapter 12. He sees these believers following this Jesus, this new formation. Nobody's going to rise up and get in his way, so he attacks the church. And in verse 2, he takes out James, one of the leaders of the church, on a whim. We don't get much explanation. Herod just doesn't feel like putting up with this anymore, so he takes out James. And just so you know, this is the same James who was a disciple of Jesus, okay? So here is a man who left everything to follow Jesus. He, he went, he spent three years of his life with Jesus. He did life with Jesus. He did ministry with Jesus. As Jesus is leaving and, and he appoints leadership for this new church, James is one of his guys. So this is, who, this is the James we're talking about. This James also had what I believe was the coolest nickname in all of Scripture. He was known as one of the sons of thunder. Man, what a name. You know, every man in the place goes, yes, that's a name. So, so this is the James we're talking about. But suddenly, James is gone, just like that, taken out by Herod, an enemy of God. And, and for us reading the story, it just feels wrong. It just seems so tragic. This is not what's supposed to happen if, if we're writing the story. You know, it goes in a different direction. So for us, where we are, it, it's just tragic from where we're sitting. But see, here's the thing. When we consider James's end, okay, the, 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 the force and the flow of his life and even the end of his life, we look at it from a heavenly point of view, it's really not that dark. It's really not that gloomy. Words like tragedy don't really fit James. Because you see, the Word of God has a very different perspective about life and about death. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us this, and we all agree to it, right? That our times are in God's hands. You know, there is a God-appointed time for us to be born. There is a God-appointed time for us to die. Psalm 139.16 says this, okay? It says, Lord, you saw me before I was born, before I was even in my mother's womb. Every day of my life was already recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single one of them came to be. And so you see, from God's point of view, James's times really are in God's hands. And so for James, here in this passage, folks, it's just time. James's assignment is over. He's been faithful. He's done well. And so you know what God does? God retires James. You know, forget about Herod for a minute. That's what happens. James is being retired by the Lord. God takes him home in this moment to heaven. You know what heaven is like? It's a place of pure, perfect life. All things are new. So still there's a little bit of us that goes, hey, this is kind of tragic, but eh, tragic for a moment. Spiritually speaking, 
This is a glorious moment in James's life. But now getting back to Herod, when he eliminates James, the Christian or the anti-Christian crowd, okay, those who don't like the church, who are ready to see this thing disappear, they are ecstatic, okay? They go wild. They are cheering Herod's name. Folks are running around high-fiving him. Yes, Herod, you took him out. We don't have to worry about these guys anymore. And so what Herod does when he hears all the cheers, all the applause, you know what Herod has? Herod has a McDonald's moment. Herod's like, man, I am loving it. I am loving hearing them call my name. See, what, what Herod does is he hears this, and he just begins to feed on all of this praise, this sudden surge in popularity. And what Herod wants in this moment, greedy Herod, what he wants is he wants more love from the crowd. And so he goes out, and he arrests Peter. You know, man, if they, if, if, if they like me getting James and get rid of him, they're going to love it when I take Peter out. And what, what Herod is doing here is he's actually living out a biblical principle, whether he knows it or not. This is Zechariah 13, 7, where it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Herod's just going, you know what I'll do? I'll just pick off the leadership of this church one by one. These Christians, man, they're going to get scared. They're going to run for the hills. This whole church will dissolve. And so for us at this moment, if I stopped it in, in verse 5, we have a really bleak, miserable sermon. I mean, what we're talking about here just feels so hopeless. You know, James, James is as gone as you can be, right? Herod is like a mad dog. He's running around unchecked, no resistance. And now here is Peter. Peter is chained up in prison. He's guarded by 16 soldiers. And the whole thing feels like it's shaping up to be another crucifixion. It sounds like at this point, this is about to be what happened to Jesus all over again, especially when you look closely at Scripture and you look at the time of year. You know, it's happening, what? It, it, it's right at Passover. We're talking about another public, uh, public trial, an execution. This sounds like, like what happened to Jesus. And so it's like we get here and we just take this deep breath of, oh my goodness, not again. And then it twists. Suddenly everything takes the most comical and glorious turn. It happens this way. The church, when Peter is arrested, they gather together for an emergency prayer session, okay? Their man Peter is in trouble. It just happened to James. Peter's probably next. So they get together and they are beseeching God. They are crying out from the gut. Everything within them is praying, oh God, set Peter free. Oh God, return Peter back to us. Lord, set him free. So they're praying and then Peter is in his cell. Okay, now let me grab a prop. Peter is in his cell and he is chained up. Let me just move you for a minute. I'm so sorry. You deserve center stage, but not for the moment. Okay, so Peter is chained up in his cell between two guards, right? And all three of them are asleep. Now, here's why that's comical, okay? Guards in this moment have one job, okay? You have one, one job, and that's actually to guard the man that you're chained to, all right? Stay awake, stay alert, keep your eyes on him, and yet the, three, the, the two of them, they're just knocked out, right? And then we've got Peter. Now, this is, this is where I just think it gets crazy. Here we've got Peter, all right? This is the last night of Peter's life, okay? 
in, in just a couple of hours, the sun is going to come up, everyone is going to gather for a public trial, and you know what is coming. Typically, if that's what the situation is, what are you doing? You are not doing this, okay? I don't know what you're doing, but you're not doing this. Peter is dead asleep with the three of them. They're just there like little kittens curled up in the sun. And, and to quote Stefano from last week, nobody does this. Not in this moment. This is not what you're doing. Yet the three of them slumber. So the three of them are there sawing logs, and suddenly things change. An angel from heaven appears, all right? This angel according to the Word of God, shows up, and he shows up, and he is decked out like an angel, okay? He is in 100% angel mode because he is as bright as can be. He is, he is radiating the light of heaven. You guys ever been asleep, right? We've all done that. Can we agree? We've all been asleep, okay? Someone comes in, turns on the light. What happens? It's, oh my gosh, cut the light off, man. I'm sleeping. Well, just take that little light that somebody cut on, magnify it a hundred times. That's the brilliance in this, in this uh, cell, yet all three of them are dead asleep. It is so bad, according to Scripture, that the angel can't even walk up to Peter and go, hey, Peter, come on. Wake up, dude. Wakey, wakey. The angel has to hit him, okay? So, in other words, it looks like this. The angel walks up and goes, Peter, wake up. And then he begins to order Peter around like we order our children around. Kids, this has happened to you. The way you order your children around when you're late for something, right? Peter, get up, get dressed, put on your sandals, tie, you know, tie, tie your cloak around you, and let's go. So Peter does this, okay? And the two of them walk out. But this is not even a normal walkout from the cell, okay? Because Scripture says that Peter is in a trance, Translation, Peter is half awake in this moment. Um, I'm going to tell a story on my kids. Kids, I hope it's all right. I try to check these with you. I totally forgot. Every one of my children, when they were young, between the ages of like two and seven or eight, um, you know, the, the kids seem to have an endless supply of energy, but when they have had a really, really busy day, we've all seen them conk out, right? You know, like you're watching a family movie. Everyone's having a good time. It's like 8 o'clock or so, and they just fall asleep. Or in our house, what our kids like to do is they would all say, hey, Mom and Dad, when you put us to bed, can we start in your bed? And we'd say, sure, you can start in our bed, and we'll walk you up. Well, it's really funny to me whenever you wake them up in that moment to take them upstairs because they are always half awake, and, here, awake. and here's what it looks like in my house. No, with Noah right now, we have to take him all the way up to the third floor. So when I walk Noah, it's, you know, it's, I'm guiding him, you know, I'm guiding him as the father, and Noah's kind of doing this, you know, and if I let go and turn, here's what Noah does every single time he, you know, he'll just, he'll just lay down on the steps like this, and then I have to pick him up. <laughs> that is Peter in this moment. This is the state of this man. He is half awake. So here's the angel leading Peter out. And they're stumbling forward, and they go past one guard post. They go past a second guard post, and then they get to the city gates, and the city gates swing wide open. They walk past one more street, and then the angel leaves. And when the angel leaves, I guess it's the absence of all that brilliance, Peter snaps awake. And he wakes up, and he says in verse 11, oh my goodness, I wasn't dreaming. That wasn't a dream. The Lord, it's really true, God sent His angel and he saved me from Herod and what the Jewish leaders were planning to do to me. And then it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I promise you this happened. Peter did a little victory dance in that moment. You know, he's, you know, he's, I mean, he's all like, you know, but, but, but he comes to himself and he runs as fast as he can to the prayer meeting where all these Christians have assembled. 
So Peter arrives and remember this. Please hold on to this. Everyone is fervently praying. This is an emergency prayer meeting. They are praying like crazy. He knocks on the door, and a girl named Rhoda, a servant girl, gets up, goes over to the door, and she hears Peter on the other side, whether he's saying, hey, little girl, little girl, let me in, you know, whatever he says. She hears his voice, and she's so overjoyed in the moment that instead of opening the door, she runs back outside, and she says, everyone, Peter's at the door. Peter's here. I just heard his voice. And this crowd of faithful Christians, okay? I know, you, you feel it, don't you? Okay, they, uh, uh, the, the, who they have been praying all night for Peter's release. They don't believe a word of it. And in fact, their response to her is, woman, you must be crazy. You must be out of your mind. And she insists and then they say back to her, well, you know what? It can't be Peter. It must be his guardian angel. Now, think about this. Again, do we all agree they need a miracle? Peter's chained between two guards. There's 16 guards in total. He is in prison. They need a miracle. What have they been praying all night for? A miracle. Well, the miracle is 15 feet away behind a half an inch of a piece of wood. And when he knocks on the door and you hear his voice, you are quicker to believe that it is his guardian angel who apparently is imitating his voice. That's what these guys believe here. But meanwhile, and by the way, that blows away the theory. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know what? Now, when you pray to the Lord, you must have perfect faith in God to receive. Folks, this is anything but perfect faith here, Okay. So, the Lord does it despite the faith of His people here, but meanwhile in verse 16, where is Peter? He's still on the other side of the door, and what is he doing now? He's pounding on the door for crying out loud, will you open the door and will you let me in? And so the people do, and they see Peter, and they are amazed that it's him. And Peter only has a few moments, so he tells them the story of what God has done. You guys are praying for my release. Our God said he would, he would build his church. The gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. Well, guys, I was locked up in prison. God set me free. Here I am. He runs through the whole thing. And then Peter pretty much covers up and he takes off for a more secure location because if they ever go looking for Peter, the first place they're going to look is where all the Christians are known to gather. So Peter goes for a more secure location. Now, meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, okay, the prison ranch that is, Herod has just discovered that Peter is gone. He's not in his cell, he's not in his change, and Herod freaks out. He orders a search for Peter. They can't find Peter anywhere. And then a wild twist comes into the story that only God could possibly pull off. Herod sentences the guards who are supposed to look after Peter, Herod sentences them to death. But the wild twist is from heaven's viewpoint, God, in this moment, is sentencing Herod to death. Nobody knows about it yet, not Herod, not, not the crowd, nobody. Nobody even sees it coming until the final moment. And here's how it goes down in verses 20 through 23. Herod was not just kind of a creepy guy when it came to the, the first church. Creepy is who he is, okay? Rotten is who he is. He can't change personalities. So Herod's got a lot of enemies, 
Herod's a man who's always out of sorts with someone, and we find out here that he is upset. He is, he's had, you know, kind of an issue with the citizens of Tyre and Sidon, okay? He's upset with them. We don't know why he's upset with these people. Probably has to do with trade, uh, you know, commerce, taxation, something like that. But he's upset with these folks. And these people, if they didn't know it before, they know it after they saw what he did to James and what they heard they did to Peter. They look at one another, these residents, and they go, you know, we better think about this. This Herod is crazy, okay? This guy is capable of anything. We need to calm this guy down. And so they send a delegation of people, a small group, over to make peace with Herod quickly. So they go over. Herod grants them an audience. He comes out to see them. And Scripture says that Herod was decked out. I mean, he was dressed to the nines, okay? He comes out in his finest robes, and he gives a speech. Now, here's how you you learn about who's good when it comes to making peace. This little delegation is brilliant because what they do when Herod concludes his speech is they flatter Herod, and they overflatter Herod. Why do they overflatter the man? Because this guy lives for the cheer of the crowd. This guy lives for the praise of the people. So they say to him, oh, Herod, that's the most amazing speech I've ever, and by the way, you look great today. This is the greatest speech I've ever heard. You speak with the voice of a God and not that of a a man. And Herod, just being so swollen with arrogance and pride, Herod being a sucker for the crowd, Herod being very prone, did we not say, to McDonald's moments, he starts loving it again. And he says, you got it right. This is the voice of a God. You should worship me as one who is divine. And boom, God ends his life right there. Now, why does God end his life? I'll tell you why. Because it is one thing to pretend to be a king, all right, when you're not. Now, that's bad enough, and Herod's been playing that game his whole life. He's not really a king, but he's been playing at it. That's bad enough. But to pretend to be the king? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God says this, Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with another. Let me put it another way, okay? That song we just sang in worship, you are worthy of it all. That song is not about Herod. That's the bottom line. And so God ends his life. God takes him out. God relieves the man of duty. You see the difference? James retired. Peter released. Herod released, relieved of duty. And that's the tale of these three men. You know, you've got these three men. They experience God in three different ways. Again, James retired, Peter released, Herod relieved of duty. But there is one truth that stands out in every man's life at the end of his life in this passage, and it is this. Our God is sovereign. You know what the word sovereign means? It means our God is in control of all things. Our God rules perfectly in every age. Our God is in control, and we are not in control. In all things, at all times, God's will is done, and God's kingdom comes on earth just as it is in heaven. That's the truth. 
eternally in every page of history. Our God is, is in control. And folks, His kingdom keeps going and going and building and growing and becoming. Proof of that, verse 24, the way this ends. It says, meanwhile, okay, what meanwhile? Well, you've got everything we just talked about, James, Herod, and Peter. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord continued to spread. And many, there were many new believers. God's will is done. God's kingdom comes. It goes forward. And so, what do we do with all this? You know, what do, what do we do with all this? Well, I'll tell you one thing we can do with it. On this Memorial Day, okay, on Memorial Day, when, when we rightly remember those who have fallen in battle, and as we've pointed out several times, these are folks who fought that we might be free. They defended us, okay? And, and, and you know, I mean, th- these are folks who have given their lives for us. That's what happens on Memorial Day, when, when, when we bring it down a notch, and we think about faithful, uh, faithful saints in the life of KPC. You know, this last week, we think of Ken Millis, who went to be with the Lord. Oh, what a faithful man of God. We think back over the last week of someone like this. You know, we think back a couple of months uh, uh, earlier to Norma Woodbury, just another faithful saint. Think a couple of years ago to when I first got here to someone like Margaret Moore, As we stop and we do this from time to time, you know, we think about people who have fallen specifically for serving Jesus Christ in dangerous parts of the world. We think about missionaries and others we know who have answered the call to go and serve Jesus over there and way over there, and we stop. And sometimes we ask ourselves, we we don't admit it out loud, but we say, Lord, you know, they're serving you there. Should they have said yes to you to go there? Is that really worth it? Today as we stop and we look in the Word of God at James and Peter and what they risked for Jesus, look out through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and all all these lives. And as we stop to think about our own lives, us following Jesus into the unknown, us crossing over and talking to that person that, you know, it's not natural, it might scare us to death. You know what we got to do as we think about all of this? We have got to factor in the sovereignty of of God. One of the things we have to remember is that when we follow Jesus Christ in this world, when we say yes to Him and we rise up and we become who we're supposed to be and we proclaim and we do whatever, folks, no matter where we go, if we are following Him, we are as safe and secure as gold in Fort Knox. That is the truth because God is sovereign. And when I say, well, 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 why? Why? Prove it to me. I'll tell you why. Because God is not like Peter and the three guards in that prison cell. You remember what they were doing? They were asleep. Our God is never asleep. Our God is never unaware. Our God is always active. He's always working everywhere in our world. He's always at work in us. He's always at work through us. And so you see whether we live a very long normal life and die in a way that, yeah, seems really natural, or we are taken out early for the cause of Christ. Folks, our God is sovereign. He's got us. And then when it comes to our lives, when we follow Jesus, the truth of it is that what we do for Christ in this world, it really, really matters. Because it it is about the one who is eternal, folks, it lasts as well. It lasts. Our deeds, what we do becomes a legacy for Jesus Christ in this world. To quote Russell Crowe, 
from Gladiator, what we do as believers, folks, it echoes through all eternity. And that's what we learn from these three men, from Herod, from James, from Peter. We learn that our God is in control, that He is good, that He is love, and He does what is just right in every moment. And so you see, for us, what that, this all means is it means is that word fear. You know, you hear that word thrown around a lot. The word fear for us as believers, it's just a word. It's all it is. It doesn't have to be us. I want to end today with a closing prayer, all right? I want you all to stand up for this one. I've got a closing prayer for you. It's from the Psalms, and you might have heard this one before. Earl's going to quote it as soon as I say it because he is, he is a living book of Psalms. Psalm 46, receive this, live in this. This is your umbrella. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. The nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. But God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come and see the glorious works of the Lord. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and he snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Therefore, be still. And know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. And so, Father, today as we just hear you putting down fear in its natural low place and lifting us up, I want to ask you to give your body a gift today. This Memorial Day weekend, I ask you to crown your people with joy. The Word of God says, perfect love casts out all fear. And so as fear makes its retreat away from us today, God, would you overflow us with the joy of heaven. Spirit of God, would you just, God, would you just tickle that spiritual funny bone? Would you rise up, just, just raise up those waters within us of gladness? And Lord, I pray that your people this week would walk through this world, wherever it takes them, Lord God, wherever their journey takes them this week. And I pray that the same brilliance and radiance that we we just saw in Scripture would just shine off us to a world that really needs to see you. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. We are so glad to be yours today. In Jesus' name, amen.